Thank you for continuing to worship with us as we worship by giving attention now to God's Word as we continue to move toward Easter and we focus on the cross of Jesus Christ and its meaning for our everyday life. And we're going to kind of build on this week what we talked about last week. Last week we focused on a way to know myself and this week we want to say what does the cross help us to do in order to become myself? You know, one of the questions that folks have been asking for years now is, what makes us who we are? What makes us who we are? Is it our, our DNA, our genes, our, our nature, the things we've inherited? Some say, well, don't forget about the nurture aspect, uh, our family of origin, our life circumstances, the people and events that have marked us along the way. And other folks chime in, don't forget about the power of choices, that the choices that we make really do shape our lives and shape who we become along the way. And, and I think all of those things play a factor under the sovereign hand of God in who we become. But I think, again, for followers of Jesus Christ, we remind ourselves that our entire life is shaped not just by our circumstances, not just by our, our genes or our DNA, not even by just by our choices, but it's shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ. But not just by wearing the cross as jewelry, not just by uh, posting uh, the cross on our social media feeds, uh, but by treasuring the cross, uh, by treasuring the cross, by finding our, our meaning, our identity, our hope, our security in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And because of the cross, we can become who we were created and who we were redeemed to believe. Last week, we looked at Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to take us back there again this week. And we looked at the fact that if we are in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. And no condemnation has some incredible implications for our life. So quick review, it means that I've been set free from the penalty of sin, and from the power of sin. That I've been set free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. The penalty of sin, that it no longer stands as this barrier between me and a holy God. Being set free from the penalty of sin means my past no longer has to determine my present and my future. But I've been set free from the power of sin. I have been liberated that sin no longer has dominion over me. And you say, Jeff, well, that, that all sounds great, but... The truth of the matter is, I still struggle. I still feel like at times sin does have dominion over me. Well, that struggle is very, very real. You see, the, the Bible affirms as long as you and I are in this not yet fully redeemed flesh, as long as we're on this side of eternity, the power of sin is still present. But though the power of sin is still present in us, the Holy Spirit frees us. It frees genuine believers from being controlled by it. So I'll battle against it all the rest of my life, but I no longer have to be dominated by it. I no longer have to live under its dominion. But with every spiritual privilege, there's a corresponding spiritual responsibility to not only know who I am, but to co-labor with God, to walk with God so that I increasingly become 
who I am. And that's what Paul continues to unpack in those next verses in Romans chapter 8. And I want to invite you to turn there with me. And he, he starts by saying, let me, let me give you a contrast. Let me give you, let me help you to understand how you can become, what it looks like to become who you are by contrasting two ways of living. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, there's a lot there, and, and sometimes one of the best ways to kind of unpack particularly a contrast is just to kind of lay it up on, on a chart, if you will. And so we're going to talk about five areas and what it looks like to live according to the flesh and according to the Spirit to help understand what Paul was trying to tell us. The first area he talked about in those verses was our mindset. Our mindset. If we live according to the flesh, our mind is set on the things of the flesh. We're set on those things that at times, are, are, are against God or less than God's best uh, for our lives. Where when we live according to the Spirit, we live in light of our new identity. Our mindset is increasingly set on the things of the Spirit. In the area of our ultimate end, according to the flesh, death. My ultimate end is death. It's physical death, but far, far worse than that, a spiritual death. Uh, an eternal separation from the love, from the fellowship, uh, from the, the presence of God. As living according to the Spirit, my ultimate end is life and peace. Why can a believer sing a song like it is well with my soul in the midst of a mess that we find ourselves in, in the midst of some of the stuff that some of you are walking through right now? Because we have life. Because we have a peace that comes through the Spirit of God that is indwelling us. In the area of our attitude toward God, if we live according to the flesh, our attitude is hostile, Paul said, hostile toward God. And that doesn't mean we're always ranting and raving against God. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a passive hostility. So we live in such a way that, that we kind of push God to the periphery of our life as if He doesn't matter or we kind of ignore Him or only want to use Him in case of emergency. Where when we're living according to the Spirit, we're receptive. We, we find ourselves with an increasing increasing receptivity to God. Increasingly, our lives are, are marked by a sensitivity to God's purposes and God's presence. In the area of God's law, Paul said the contrast is, according to the flesh, I don't submit. If I live according to the Spirit, I do submit. Uh, that even if I may technically fulfill sometimes the letter of the law, I do so in a way that is in rebellion or, or independence from God. And so according to the flesh, I, I do not submit fully to God. According to the Spirit, I have an increasing capacity to do that. And the last area we'll look at is the ability to please God. And Paul said, according to the flesh, I can't do it. In verse 8, he said, I cannot please God. 
Even if I do some of the quote-unquote right things because my heart is not right with God, it does not fully please Him. But when I live according to the Spirit, I have a new capacity that I am enabled to now live in a way that pleases God. In order to become who God has created and recreated me to be, I have to understand that I'm called to live, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so Paul goes on uh, to remind remind us of, of who we are. He says, I want you to be clear on this. And so in verse 9, he says, you, however, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. That there is something unique, there is something different about you because now you are in the Spirit. And that has implications. It has implications for our past. For our past. Every genuine believer has the Holy Spirit. Every one of us, right here, right now, when we come to Christ, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Paul put it this way in writing to the Ephesians. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. If you have genuinely come to Jesus Christ, if there's been that uh, journey in your life that's brought you to that point where you have, have surrendered your life to Him, you've surrendered your past, your present, your future, you've turned from self-rule and submitted to the rule of His Spirit in your life, you were sealed with His Spirit. That happened in the past, but it continues on to the present. And then Paul says, that was your past, uh, but... Look at our present, verse 10. He just continues to unpack this new life in the Spirit. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Two things that Paul tells us about there. The first is our physical bodies have the seeds of literal death in them, and we will eventually cease to live. Now, I know that's kind of sobering, isn't it? And, and you know, I, I think about kind of where we are as a, as a world, but certainly where we are as a country and a culture right now. And I think one thing this virus has reminded us of is our own mortality. It's reminded us of how fragile we are how fragile some of the things we've looked to for our hope and, and encouragement and, and identity are. And that every one of us is faced with this reality that our physical bodies, not yet fully redeemed, carry in them the literal seeds of death. Paul wrote to the Corinthians about his own suffering. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. The reality is in this present, yes, in my life, I, there's suffering and there's hardship and there's viruses and there are all these things. And, and sometimes it's just the process of aging or sometimes it's a disease or sometimes it's a, an accident or, or violence one person against another. There's all these things that negatively impact our physical body. But Paul said, while that is true, our inner self can continually be renewed 
because of the presence of the Spirit in our life. And that points us to the fact that we are now spiritually alive to things that we were previously dead to. That there are some things that we now are right in this present moment presently alive to that before the cross, before we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we were dead to. Let me just give you three quick examples. To God Himself. Uh, that we were dead to God, that we, we could not respond to Him appropriately apart from His intervening grace in our life. But now because of His Spirit, I am sensitive to the activity of God. I'm aware of the activity of God around me. But not only to God, but to His Word, to the Bible. And to the Bible, and, and maybe some of you have had this experience that you said, you know, there was a time I, I read the Bible and it just didn't make sense. It didn't speak to me. I just didn't get it. And then God got a hold of your life. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God that is in you, that same Spirit of God that inspired this Word, takes that Word and it makes it alive. It quickens it to your life. And suddenly you find kind of things jumping off the page and speaking to your life and to your heart and to your mind. And that's the activity of the Spirit in the present tense. And just one more quick example. We're also now sensitive to the presence of the Spirit in other Christians, to the presence of the Spirit in other Christians. And one of the ways I, I think about this, I had some opportunity to travel internationally, and, and I just marvel at the fact that you can meet somebody, totally different culture, and you all are as different as different could be. Don't even speak the same language. The only way to communicate is with the help of a translator. And yet, when you bump up against a brother or sister in Christ, even if they're from a different culture, you sense the presence of the Spirit in their life. There is this kinship, there is this connectedness because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's our present, but let me show you one more thing, and that is the future. The future that you and I have in Jesus Christ. Verse 11, he just continues reminding us of life in the Spirit. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also live, will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. See, my future and your future, if we are in Jesus Christ, is uh, simply this. Whoop, let's back up. We will experience a physical resurrection, and we will be with Christ forever. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. It encourages me. You know, this just a, a few weeks ago was the anniversary of, of my earthly father's death. Uh, he died right before he was 60 years old. Uh, and you lay that body in the grave, but you know that's not the last word. There's a hope that extends beyond the grave. It's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That no virus, no cancer, no automobile accident, nothing can take away because, because of that same spirit is within us, we will experience a physical resurrection and we will be with Christ forever. 
And because all that is true about you and about me right here, right now, he says we have an empowered opportunity. We have an opportunity to live differently and distinctly. Look at the next couple of verses there, verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What he's saying to us is very simply, our greatest obligation is also our greatest opportunity. And that's surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I have a debt, an obligation. I am a debtor, not to the flesh, but a debtor to the one who rescued me, who created me, who saved me, who redeemed me, who's given me new life in Jesus Christ, who has sealed me with his Holy Spirit. And I now have an obligation that's also my greatest opportunity to live fully surrendered, all in and all out with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And think about it. Is there any greater purpose than to live life aligned with God's design and to be used for God's eternal purposes. I mean, can we just pause and think about that for a moment? Of all the things that you and I could give our lives to, is there any greater purpose? Is there any greater calling than to live my life fully aligned with God's design and willing to be used for His eternal purposes. Sometimes I ask myself and I've asked others through the years a very simple question. And that is, what are you going to do with your one and only life that's going to matter for all eternity? Because we're all going to spend our life some way, somehow. We're all going to invest our precious life for something. What are you and I going to do with our one and only life that's going to matter for all eternity? That is our obligation, and that is our incredible calling. And to be able to live that out is to realize the truth about ourselves, the truths we've been talking about, and to put it into practice by the enabling power of God's Holy Spirit. See, the hope is not that I can do it in my own strength, but I can do it in the strength and in the enabling power of God's Holy Spirit. So what are some of those things that help to fuel that? Because the calling, did you see it there? He said, when I live according to the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. That right here, right now, in this not yet fully redeemed flesh, I have this this calling to put to death the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh, so that I can live all in and all out, fully surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, which is my greatest obligation and my greatest opportunity and my greatest calling. So five things I just want to suggest to you that can help to put that into practice. The first is to recognize reality. To recognize the presence of sin in our lives. And we've already talked about that, but it's just, it's just to realize, hey, this is going to be a battle all the rest of my life. 
It's not, it's not that I'm a, a bad follower of Christ because I'm having this battle. No, it's because you're still living in this sin-scarred world and you and I are still engaged in this life in this not yet fully redeemed body and we're going to continue to have this battle with sin. That's why Peter encourages us, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. To, to, to live my life with a recognition, there's a battle going on. And every single day there is this battle. And, and I, I don't deny it. I don't minimize it. I don't fixate on it. But I recognize the reality of it. But I don't fixate on that because I'm called to fix my heart on Christ's presence and on Christ's power, to fix my heart on Christ's presence and Christ's power. A couple of scriptures, uh, one uh, uh, from Hebrews, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's part of what it looks like to treasure the cross of Jesus Christ, that I fix my eyes on Jesus, this one who is the initiator, who is the perfecter of our faith, who will complete that which he has begun in us. And we fix our eyes not on the flesh, we fix our eyes on him, his enabling power, his example, the life that he lived in obedience to God. One more, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I know, I know sometimes we, we get our eyes kind of locked on the present moment, the here and now, the problems, the things that we have or don't have or whatever it might be, but that's not where our life is. That doesn't define us. That if we're going to live as those who have been set free, we fix our eyes not on the temporary, but on that which is eternal. A third thing that can help is to meditate. To meditate on the truth of God's Word. We get all of these messages from the world around us. We, we get all of the, these messages, and sometimes they're accurate, and sometimes they're, uh, they're slightly twisted, and sometimes they're just outright lies and distortions. And how do I wade through all that? How do I kind of figure out what's truth and what's not? Because I run it through the filter of God's Word. And so I need to continually come back and immerse my heart and my mind in God's Word. The psalmist said, I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That there is something that happens as I saturate my mind in that, that the Word of God, that Spirit of God takes that Word of God and He empowers the child of God to live distinctly and differently, to live a life of meaning and purpose. And it happens as I meditate on the truth of God's Word. But not only meditate, but partner that with the power of prayer, to commune with God in prayer, to, to spend time in this conversation with God. The scripture encourages us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How do I live according to the spirit, not according to the flesh? How do I, how do I have a strength beyond my own? I go to the throne. 
I spend time in God's presence through his word, through prayer. And I find that as I spend time with him, that he, he infuses me with, with insight, with understanding, with perspective, with his power for his purposes along the way. And, and I just maybe want to challenge you and encourage you as we think about this crazy time we're in and we're, we're kind of shut in homes and that sort of thing. And I know for some of you, this is like really crazy because you got a house full of kids and it, it seems even more more chaotic maybe than usual. But could it be that because some of our other activities have been slowed down or shut down, that we now have a unique opportunity to spend time with God as we've never spent with Him before? I mean, I mean, think about it. And I know you may have to get creative. You may have to work with a house full of people. But you're not commuting. You're not doing maybe some of these other things. What if, and I don't know, but what if, God may be using this time to slow us down so that we spend more time in His presence. What if this crisis is a divine opportunity to spend time before God in His Word and in prayer like never before? What if God was going to use this time to be catalytic in our lives personally, in our families, in our churches, in our nation, and in our world. Commune with God in prayer. And then when I do that, I have this spirit-enabled capacity to obey God in all things big and small. And I've worded it that way on purpose, big and small. Sometimes we think it's just about the big things. But if I don't, if I don't set my heart, if I don't kind of set the standard to obey God in all things, if I don't obey Him in the small things, I will not have the capacity to obey Him in the big things. And so I have to set my heart and, and set my mind to say, I want to obey you in all things. I mean, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now you'll evaluate my commandments or critique my commandments or pick and choose my commandments. No, you will keep my commandments. Paul said of his own life, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. What if, what if to become who God created me to be, I made it my aim to please him? Now, sometimes people hear obedience and they think uh, obedience is, is slavery. But what we know from Scripture is that obedience is freedom. And obedience is freedom to become the person that God created me to be, to have the life that He designed for me, to fulfill His purpose, to have maximum impact in the lives of other people. Obedience is not the pathway of slavery. Disobedience is the pathway of slavery. Obedience is the pathway to freedom. And so I want to close this teaching with a, a powerful reminder for a scripture, and then I want to leave you with a word picture. The reminder is this, Galatians 2.20, Paul's kind of self-description of his new life. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My past, my life disconnected from God, crucified, gone. 
It's no longer that old person who lives. But Christ lives in me. His Spirit is alive in me. And because of that, I have a new divine capacity that I can live this life in this human flesh by faith, by trusting, and by following the Son of God who loved me and on the cross gave Himself for me. It is in the cross of Jesus Christ that I have the capacity and the power to become who He has created and redeemed me to be. That's the Scripture. Here's the picture. It's of an airplane. I don't know if you've ever thought about it or not, but in one sense, it doesn't really make sense that something that big can get off the ground and fly. I mean... That weighs like tons. And then you put like hundreds of passengers on it and luggage and fuel and all of these things. And like, how does this fly? And I I am far, far, far from an aeronautical engineer. So on the most elementary level, we'll talk about uh, the the, the factors there, if you will. We'll talk about weight, kind of gravity that holds us down. Drag, the resistance to moving forward and then lift, and then thrust. Those basic elementary principles of aerodynamics. That's what enables a plane to fly. That there is this, this lift as the, uh, the, the rounded wings uh, allow the, uh, the air to move in such a way that, that the whole plane can be lifted, and as the, the jet engines thrust it forward, it has, has the, the power to move up and out. And here's the thing. You and I can get on one of these and we can fly across the country. We can fly across the world. We can't do that on our own, right? I mean, if you're in one of these things and you just decide to hop out the door, you have totally lost your capacity to fly. I know that's a ridiculous example, but here's what I want you to see. As long as I remain in Jesus Christ, I have a supernatural capacity to fly. The life of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said not only are we in Him, but we are called to abide in Him, to remain in Him, to stay connected to Him. When I stay connected to Him, He gives me the lift. He gives me the thrust to be able to overcome the the weight and the drag of the flesh and of sin. But the moment that I step outside of Christ, then the the weight of sin, the the law of the flesh begins to drag me down to my own destruction. What I want you to just remember is that in Jesus Christ, because of what He's done for us in the cross, we now have a supernatural capacity to soar, to be who He has created us to be. I have to be in Christ the same way I have to be in the airplane. And I have to remain in Christ the way that I have to remain in the airplane. But when I do, the law of sin and death no longer has dominion over me. No longer will I be dominated or defeated by the sin or the flesh. But I can live a brand new life. I can soar to be who God created me to be. That is my hope and prayer for my life and for yours. Let us together Walk in Jesus Christ in such a way that we become who He has indeed created us to be. 
Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together, please. Oh, Father, thank you for all that you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And Father, we just confess that so often we don't even realize all that you have provided for us. And Father, I, I pray, Lord, I don't know who is listening to this right now, but Father, would you speak graciously and personally to each and every one of us. And Father, I pray for those that do not know you, that they are not in Christ, that they've never come to that place of, of placing their faith and trust, not in their good deeds or their morality or in their religion, but in the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Father, I pray today would be the day that they cry out to you. And Father, I, I pray for those that know Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord, Father, that today you would call us anew and afresh to realize who we are and to begin to live in light of our new identity, to become more and more who you have created us to be. Father, thank you for saving us, for enabling us, for living in us, and working all around us. And we praise you for this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, we want to come alongside you in any way that we can. And if we can help you take that next step in your relationship with God, whatever that looks like, please go to our website, fbcfm.com. You can look at the contact page. You can send us an email. You can pick up the phone. Uh, whatever way is best for you. But if we can come alongside you, if we can answer a question, if there's a way we can pray for you, send us a prayer request. But we want to come alongside you and help you as you take your next step to live the life you were created for in Jesus Christ. You may be watching this with some others or maybe connect with some others along the way. As you do, I just want to leave you with two things to talk about. Just talk to somebody about a truth I need to believe and meditate on. As you maybe just look back over some notes, look back over those scriptures, is there a truth that you need to believe and just really meditate on over these next few days? And then in light of that truth, is there an action that I need to take? What is one action I need to take in this unusual time in which we're living? What truth do I need to believe and meditate on? What one specific action do I need to begin to take to become more who God created me to be? Thank you for joining us for this online worship experience. May God continue to strengthen you and bless you as you walk with Him in the days ahead.